Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have an absolute pleasure to talk with Alison Armstrong. Alison Armstrong's exploration of human behavior began in 1999 with her decision to study men. She found out she was bringing out the worst in men and hopefully now how to bring out the best. Her success in understanding men naturally led to studying women's behavior and making vital connections between the two. Besides fulfilling the need to understand why people behave as they do, Alison offers practical partnerships-based alternatives, and through her seminars, books, online programs, and media contributions, she has been giving millions of people access to more fulfilling lives, loving relationships, stronger families, and productive organizations. Her live events and over 100 hours of online programs are available at alisonarmstrong.com. And I would also highly recommend everyone who wants to understand masculinity, masculine behavior, feminine behavior, to go check out her books, Keys to the Kingdom and Queen's Code. Thanks so much for being a guest on the pro- program. I will start with a question about where did your fascination with fairy tales start? With fairy tales? Yeah, you also, because I collect oh, fairy tales all around the world gosh. and you also use it a lot, right? Yes. Well, okay, where it started, I'd have to say was Greek mythology. And, and okay, this may sound strange, but I think that... I think the human experience is so tough, so, so much more pain than pleasure, and so much that instinct compels us to do that our fairy tales, our happily ever after stories are like balancing out that it's going to be okay. Like the fairy tales about marriage women tend to engage in them more than men and we're way more compelled to get married, to find a man, keep a man, make him act right. And so the idea that we're going to live happily ever after, if we meet the one, which we'll know he's the one because we found love at first sight and there are never any problems, but that actually like kind of helps us keep our sanity where we're compelled to do this thing of get this person to commit to us, even though it doesn't turn out well, doesn't make it turn out well. It has this believe it will. And so we keep going. Yeah. I have a book about um, the name slips, Bettelheim, Bruno Bettelheim. I don't know if you know him. He analyzed fairy tales from Grimm and the original fairy tales. They are pretty gruesome. There's some hard truths in it, but told in a fairy tale way that sometimes it's also a way to tell a harsh truth, but in a fairy tale, you, you can bring out that deeper wisdom in a more childlike mm-hmm. way. Yeah, the original ones are really dark. And, you know, Disney lightened them up and they're still pretty gruesome. <laughs> but so is being human. Yeah, I still remember when I was young and, and I'm, I'm st- sounding old when I do that. You had like this cassette player and you had these audio tapes of fairy tales. And that was just me soaked into the world and listen to the fairy tales. That was one of the things that I can escape from the world with my imagination. I love that so much. Yes. There's also something I think about fairy tales, because sometimes in these days to talk about masculine or masculinity, it can be so polarizing in all the gender identity discussion that fairy tales is sometimes still a way to bring across this ancient wisdom in a less 
confrontational way, I guess. Honestly, I know I talk about masculinity and femininity in the mm. Queen's Code, which I wrote in 2010. And I just completed the uh, recording the audiobook that's going to come out in 2022. But besides that, I have mostly abandoned talking about masculinity and femininity because mm. it has so much baggage. Yeah. I sp had spent most of my time trying to redefine it for people so they could hear it, so they could act upon it in a powerful, powerful way. I finally just gave up and decided to talk about talk about it as different operating states. Are you in hunting mode or gathering mode? Mm. And then even people would, it's natural for people to objectify. It makes us feel like we have a handle on something. If we can turn it into a thing, right? Then we, I got a handle. It's it, a I framework, it. right? It's not like rigid framework, but you know, if a but painting is also beautiful because of the framework, because of the limits, but you can still paint whatever you want in it. Well, but we, Human beings feel safe if they can label something. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're compelled to label. And, and so I'm always having to find another way to express something because once you label yourself or another person, you are putting yourself in a frame. Mm -hmm. And we're, as human beings, we're, we're so fluid, right? Our brain will rewire itself to fulfill our passions. We can transform form on a dime we can release we can release wounds and injuries and dishonor and betrayal and all the crap that goes with it we can do that very easily we're so not fixed then anytime we try to interact with ourselves as if we're fixed we we disempower ourselves and that's one of the things that i'm passionate about is people not disempowering themselves or each other because we literally can't afford to. We need, we need people thinking at their best, being at their best, the least in scarcity and fear and survival as possible, the most in abundance and love and partnership as possible. So now I mostly talk about, are you in a committed state of mind? And if you're in a committed state of mind, these are all the things that'll happen. As a result of it, this is what your brain will do in a committed state of mind and what your hormones will do in a committed state of mind, or are you in an open state of mind? And well, then I a feel whole different set of things happen. Well, I feel sometimes this is being ideologized or such like controversy and taboo on the mainstream media or main institutions. But I got to say, one fourth of my podcast, there's such a craving, such a craving for knowledge about masculine behavior masculine communication masculine needs, feminine needs like really people crave for this i read a yes. book by deborah ted and you just don't understand and it's about female and male communication and yes this is a generalization but it's useful for me to learn how to navigate that in general men communicate for respect women communicate to get love and yes that's a spectrum but it's not so rigid that it can't depend but it was useful for me to learn how to understand the other gender or the other sex and it seems so controversial these days but people crave this wisdom these frameworks to understand reality relationships and dynamics better may i say something about that 100 well i would completely agree that men communicate for respect and 
as a subset of that trust. If you trust me, you respect me. If you respect me, you trust me. If you don't trust me, you don't respect me. If you don't respect me, you don't know who the hell I am. And women, I would say we actually don't communicate to be loved Mm. because we don't understand love. Instinct has us communicate to be liked, to communicate to be attractive, including one of the things that women do with each other all the time is there's something called too perfect. Mm. Okay. Amongst women, if you're too perfect, you will be left out in the cold. If you're too perfect, the, the tribe will just move quietly away and let the mountain lion get you. Right. So women will actually, if they're afraid that they're seen as too perfect, they'll reveal a flaw. Right. They'll, they'll, oh, but no, I'm, I'm like this. Oh, but you should see my house. Oh, but no, I got this at, Mm -hmm. I got this at the thrift store. Right. They'll do something like me, like me, like me. And more social, um, right? More in a social way or social tactics, well, right? Sometimes you see women well, then through the social tribe and it's more like passive aggressive sometimes. Well, try it like this, okay? Human beings are both pack and herd animals. If you want to use masculine and feminine, the masculine is pack. The masculine is hunter, hierarchy, team, alpha, beta, the whole thing. Single focus, and what you talk about. Ex- exactly, exactly. Get her done, get her done, get her done. And women can do that, by the way. We just don't have that loyalty thing built in. We don't have honor built in. And, and, and women get really pissed at me when I say that. It's, it's not that we can't be honorable. It's just we have to just... What men have taught me is... Being honorable is doing the right thing no matter how you feel. And for women, because of our relationship to our feelings, we have a really hard time because we think our feelings are 100% of the time telling us the right thing. And they're only telling us the right thing some of the time. And so women are more like prey. So if you think of predator and prey, right? So the pack is a predator. The herd is prey. It's also all about status, but the status doesn't necessarily, the person with the highest status isn't necessarily the best leader, isn't necessarily have the good of everyone to be thought of. They just can muscle their way in there. And there's a lot of, oh my gosh, I, I mean, I told you I had, I had my tours, right? With mm-hmm. my horse and my donkey. Yeah. And I, I literally have a horse and a donkey. Journeys. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. My boyfriend was just talking about that. No, my so in the equine world, horse is feminine, donkey is masculine. Mm-hmm. And men will be called as stubborn as an ass, right? Because you can't scare a man or a donkey into doing something. You would be considered dishonorable to do it out of fear, right? So to a donkey, what you're asking him to do has to make sense. I think man is more in terms of a commitment, despite how they feel, they just committed to it. They made a decision, but with women, it's more sometimes dependent on their feelings and, you, and debate with everything that I'm saying, right? I'm sitting with an expert here. Sometimes <laughs> it's better to ask men what they need because they're more in touch with their needs sometimes than their feelings. Well, except this is really fun, by the way, <laughs> except, okay. Of 
at least 20% of men. I used to think it was 10 to 15%. Now I'm thinking it's 20% or more. Only will use the word need. They'll only think it's the truth. If you use the word need with something, you'll die without. So better to ask a man what's important to you. And then he can say sleep, getting enough sleep is important to me. He won't say I need eight hours of sleep. You can't say that. That would be to reveal a weakness, right? So the prohibition against revealing needs is extremely high for both men and women, and it's even higher for men. And so you're, you're not supposed to need anything. You're supposed to be Superman and be able to deliver on fumes, right? And back to masculinity, Philippe, you know, masculinity is based in testosterone, your own body builds testosterone through rest, right? Testosterone creates ambition, creates energy, creates sex drive, creates erections, creates all these things that, that women love and that men love being. But then they try to get by on four hours of sleep and they have to take a blue pill. You if know how I call that? I mean, we're going to talk about the stages of men and what you use with the king and the prince. I call that the journey of the wounded warrior because the men mm -hmm. leave their familiar tribe. They fight, they conquer, they're an adventurer with no steady place, being interesting, but never having a secure place to rest upon. And then they have mm -hmm. to fight their biggest enemy, which is themselves. And then their wounds become medals and they have to settle somewhere. And then they start somewhere. Maybe if you're familiar with the work by Robert Moore, warrior, king, warrior, magician, lover, then they become more of a lover in touch with their senses and more a magician teaching skill to other people. But a lot of men first want that outside achievement, those quests. And when you're young, you have the testosterone, you have the fighting spirit, you can keep it up. But starting at the end of your 20s, beginning of your 30s, like you will start to feel the battle you are fighting mostly against yourself. It's a good way to put it, since you're familiar with the amazing development of men and the, the stages of development, which I also teach in He's the kingdom. Yeah, talk, talk and, maybe a bit about that, about how you see the stages of men and the tunnel. I, I see it in Camelot kind of terms, mm -hmm. right? Pages, knights, princes, and kings and elders. And the pages, you know, idolize knights. And knights are all about developing skills and testing their skills against others And it's really important to understand them, especially if you're in education, because they decide what skills are worth developing, not teachers, <laughs> not state testing. The, the young man himself decides what's important. And, and then as princes, it's all about carving out the part of the world that you're the king of. And, and then when you're almost done with that is when the tunnel seems to hit and a friend of mine named it the tunnel because he said that with each step it gets darker and darker and the most important thing I learned about the tunnel recently which I started working on I actually started studying men in 1991 not 1999 and it was one of the first things that we articulated was the stages of development and The tunnel, I, I met somebody after my husband died who said he'd been in the tunnel for six years. And I wondered how the heck could somebody be in the tunnel for six years? 
But getting to know him, I got to find out how that happened. Because the first part of the tunnel is has to do with coming to terms with how much we've adapted to fit other people's values and how much we've betrayed ourselves to be acceptable and to succeed with other people. And, and so there's tremendous shame in the first part of the tunnel, seeing all the self-betrayal. And then coming out of this tunnel, right, has this other side of it, right? So going into the tunnel, we're experiencing the cost of having betrayed ourselves to come out of the tunnel, which by the way, women are experiencing the tunnel more and more because there's so much in committed hunting, get her done mode. And I went through it myself. Coming out of the tunnel, we have to be willing to pay the price of not conforming. So the beginning so, of the tunnel is the death of your old identity, kind of symbolic. I, that would be a fair way to say it. Or if you're not willing for that to happen, you get stuck for a long time. If you engage with it, like this is, this is my, this is my chance to be me. This is my chance to carve out my life. But then what I saw about my friend was he was in the tunnel for so long because as much as he was deeply ashamed of having conformed, he wasn't willing to pay the cost of no longer conforming. And he just in the last like five months be- became willing to pay the cost and started doing that, started letting people know who he really is and finding out actually that he'd hallucinated much of it. Mm. That the real cost, the people he thought were going to exclude him were going to, I mean, the worst thing that can happen as a herd or pack animal is to be excluded. The people he thought were going to exclude him didn't. They, they didn't have the reaction he thought they were going to have at all. So really what we've seen is, you know, to become a king, you have to be willing to pay the price. Of some people won't respect you. Some people won't accept you. Some people won't be in your corner anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, you can be liked at the cost of not liking yourself. brutal can i tell you something about that that kills romantic relationships sure because i also wanted to ask like it's sometimes difficult as a partner to deal with a guy in his tunnel he's figuring himself out he's working on his mission and sometimes that can drag on yeah it's why i wrote keys to the kingdom i'll leave it to that book i think that fairy tale tells it well so here's here's one of the biggest problems okay when we, and this goes back to saying love, right? That for respect versus love. And I said, it's not love because we don't understand it. And this is one of the things I could rant about, definitely. That my assertion after paying attention to it all this time is that love is eternal. Love is infinite. Love is, it, it, it's beyond huge. We can't even fathom it. So there's no, I love you more, I love you less. Love is just love when it's really love. But our own individual experience of love, like what is in our space as an experience of love, I've tied to respect, admiration, and affinity. And the more respect, admiration, affinity that you have for another person, 
the more love you experience having for that person. And the more respect, admiration, affinity we have for ourselves, the more love we experience for ourselves. So the boomerang is that when we put up with behavior in ourselves that costs us respect or admiration for ourselves, or we just don't like ourselves anymore, when we put up with it in ourselves, we put up with it in other people. We think that, you know, I'm such a schmuck. I don't deserve to require that that person behave in an admirable way. So we put up with the people we're involved with romantically, our friends, our family, even our coworkers. We put up with behavior in other people that has us lose respect, admiration, affinity for them because we have lost so much respect and affinity for ourselves. And even if someone tries to love us, we won't let them. We won't let them because human beings hate to be obligated. I'll, I'll, we, I'll explain you something as a man in the tunnel, right? What we often love is to, to make an impact, to make a difference, to rally people behind our cause. And when we're figuring things out, often we want a partner that supports us. But when you're not clear on their mission, what sometimes can happen is because oftentimes for women, what they find most attractive is a confident man who believes in himself. You can nourish this confidence so the man feels more powerful. But when a man is not on his mission and keep on postponing it, there can become a kind of silent resentment of the partner. And then the partner feels less respected and then he feels less confident. And then the woman feels less attracted. And then this vicious cycle starts. Yeah, right down into the sewer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what we call it a downward spiral. If you wanted to take it a little broader, Philippe, what attracts women is the perception of strength. And confidence literally means with faith. So when a man has faith in himself, that is perceived as a tremendous strength. And, and faith I would determine as belief in something that is not yet manifested, which is hard sometimes because the mind can only measure what it can lose, not what it can gain. So you, you can't give yourself evidence. You, you create it first and then you create it as a man. Only measure it can lose, not what it can gain. I don't think that's true. Mm. Can I push back on it? hundred percent. This is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> So one of the distinctions that we make in our partnership work is the difference between hallucination and imagination. And one of the things we've known for quite a while is that human beings actually have two nervous systems. We have a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. And and hallucination Right? Hallucination is a function of our most primitive nervous system where we're imagining, not imagining, we're picturing all the horrible things can happen. So it's generated by the part of the brain called the amygdala. And it's the what if, oh, oh, but what if, but what if the fall, the sky falls? What if there's a cliff there? What if they betray me? What, what if it's bigger than I can handle? What if, what if, what if? And so hallucination, we're picturing something that isn't real, 
but we don't know that it isn't real and we act as if it is real and all the hormones and thoughts and everything fire off as if it's real. Imagination, we're also picturing something that isn't real, but it's actually a creative act to picture something in our imagination. We can even, imagination can actually be something we feel our way into or we articulate our way into. It doesn't just have to be pictures. But what we've seen is that one of the most important things for any man or woman to do before ever engaging with another person is to get clear. <laughs> no, but what I meant with it was like, you have to stop waiting for the world to give you permission to show up. So permission is something that a child ch child asks. Can I have permission, mommy? Can I have permission? Am I okay? And if you're going to have masculine behavior, you have to stop asking for permission. You're going to go first. Well, I don't think it's just masculine behavior. Mm. I remember when one of my dear friends turned 50 and her best friend was also a dear friend. And Catherine was so excited. Catherine, Catherine's like, Jill just said, Jill just said being 50 is not asking permission anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? And then Catherine, who was 47, said, I asked if I could start early. I give you permission to not ask permission anymore. I know. I know. It was so <laughs> funny. But I, I definitely could relate to 50 being not asking permission anymore. Mm -hmm. But then I turned Sixty. Oh. Yeah, you gotta tell us your, your the secret of the fountain of youth, by the way, because everybody's <laughs> gonna look at you like, what the hell? Like, you must uh, find some. What what's, <laughs> what what did the gods drink in 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 Tor? I don't know. And then the the, the the Norse gods, you must have found some kind of fountain there. Yeah. Well, I just turned sixty-one, and I can tell you if you want. Tell it. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things. One is I actually, you know, what I put in my body, I'm not obsessively clean, but I, I'm, my doctor said I heal so quickly because I have the cleanest diet of anybody she knows. But I also, have you ever been to Hawaii? No, no. So the Hawaiian islands are known for this. Honopono? Uh, what do you call ho it? Honopono. Honopono is beautiful. <laughs> yes. Well, I do a lot of releasing, a lot of healing, a lot of just like letting, releasing really the Sedona method. I'm releasing stuff all the time. But we also have other things that we discovered about healing and releasing the past and wounds and shame and being made wrong your whole life and all kinds of crap. So I do a lot of that. But the Hawaiian Islands, actually, the origin of the healing energy in the Hawaiian Islands exists in Kauai. And there's actually a place in Kauai that is like, it's the straight tequila. <laughs> it's, the, it's the source. And it's called the Y. It's called the Hawaiian International Center. There's a Buddhist temple right there sitting on the the heartbeat of this energy and kind of freaky and sounds weird. But a couple of years ago, when I went to visit there soon after my husband died, it inhabited me. <laughs> mm -hmm. It flows through me. It, it's the energy of wholeness and it heals other people and it flows through me and around me and came back to Colorado with me and, and it heals humans and horses and hearts and I mean, it's some, it's crazy, freaky, what kind of stuff. But yes, that's, that's why I look the way I do.
Thanks for sharing it. I love people who are like different, you know, like that's the people that I actually like. Before I'm going to delve in other topics, I want definitely you to mention something which I think is super powerful to tell to women what men need. Tell a bit about transition time. <laughs> oh, transition time. Okay. So, so Philippe, I'm just going to keep pushing a thing in here, okay? Yeah. Because of what we normally refer to as masculinity, yeah. which I would call a hunting, committed state of mind. There's a specific mm -hmm. result, intention, destination. Mm -hmm. Most women are spending most of their time in that state, but it causes a huge problem because men have between 15 and 30 times more testosterone than women do. Mm -hmm. And so we become exhausted by it. Mm -hmm. You guys have the jet fuel. And we don't. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. It's probably also one of the reasons I look the way that I do. I take jet fuel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I participate in bioidentical hormone therapy. But the thing to know is if you're a man or a woman and you're in a committed state of mind, you will need transition time. And transition time is literally the route, if you will, the route right? From being committed to one thing to being committed to another thing, or from being committed to one thing to becoming open. And for women, we fall in love with men when you're in an open state of mind. We get all hot and bothered and sexually attracted to you when you're in a committed state of mind. But since women need connection to feel fulfilled sexually we're attracted to the committed state of mind but if you're not completely focused on us and sometimes even when you are because of the way you're focused on us we don't get the connection yet. so we actually need men to transition from a committed state of mind to an open state of mind for sex and romance and date night to be other than frustrating and hurtful so transitions are really important and taking enough time, like time space is what we would call it, an amount of time to shift how someone is relating to the world, which it's awesome that we can do that. But one of the things that's important to understand, Philippe, which I think is what you're pointing to, is the most common transitions in a man's life, and a woman can do this on purpose as well, they have rituals. And those rituals are these grooves that make the transition easy. But what's important here, I'll just like show you this. Okay. So the transition ritual is going to depend upon what are you transitioning from and what are you transitioning to? Yeah. So when sometimes when I'm working and then I want to have a date with my girlfriend, it's very difficult to switch off my working state. And then the door opens yeah. and immediately I'm ready for the date. I need some time to transition into right. the new activity. Yeah. And if, but if it's a common from and to, like say it's be at work, be at home, these are really common transitions mm -hmm. and they bear interesting resemblance to a hunter coming home with bloody clothes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. he puts his weapons down and he takes his bloody clothes off. And he changes into something else. And then he just wants to not have to think about anything important for a while. Not have to solve any problems, right? Just chillax, right? 
But so the most important rituals have these paths. And if you don't interrupt the path, he'll get here, right? But if anything changes, say it's from home to, it's from work to home, but no, tonight, tonight's back to school night with the kids. <laughs> so you've got to go from home, stuff your face and then go meet with teachers. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, I mean, this thing that also sometimes happens is, and, and again, I will use masculine and feminine, but you can translate it right, to hunter or whatever. That's what I use. It's on me. If you're triggered by it, time. just, just attack me for it. You know, I can handle it. When a woman asks me, what are, what are you thinking about? A man, I mean, in, in, in general, filters it like, is this heavy enough to pay attention to? Is this through my filtering system what I want to talk about? A woman would just ask what she thinks about. A man, you can maybe see on his expression that something is occupying his mind. But sometimes I say nothing. And it's because I don't want to give weight to that thing. Is this recognizable or not? Because what are you thinking about? And I don't always want to talk about it or I filter kind of like what I want to point my attention to because sometimes... I can create something heavier just by talking about it and giving it more weight than it should have. What's your mm -hmm. thoughts about that? I wouldn't argue with anything you said. If, you, if a woman asks a man, what are you doing? And he says, it means he's not producing any results right now. She's asking what you're thinking about. She's probably trying to connect. And she's hoping you're thinking about her. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're not thinking about her, she wants to know what you're thinking about so that she can connect with you through what you're thinking about. And so if you, if you wanted to turn that into a really neat moment that could also be known as foreplay, because I am very pro-sex, mm -hmm. probably another reason why I like mm -hmm. the way I do. <laughs> 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 Last thing I expected after my husband died that I would end up in northern Colorado with extraordinary ramaging. Oh my gosh, he's extraordinary. Yeah, I, that's the next one. But anyhow, so if when she asked, what are you thinking about? And it isn't something that you do want to talk about or do want to pursue or give any weight or energy to, if you said nothing important, how are you? <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or what would you think of this? Instead of trying to change your mind or talk to your mind, change your mode. Because we as men sometimes try to, you know, this masculine communication is more solution oriented and we try to solve a problem while a lot of women just want a space for a man to absorb it, how she's feeling or what she's expressing. And then you sometimes have the masculine solution oriented direct communication, more assertive and a woman who, again, it's a spectrum, but I'm just talking about frameworks here. That just wants someone to listen to and sometimes she wants a solution but sometimes she wants to crash the waves of emotions into a solid rock that can handle it and provide a space for it without necessarily trying to solve it because sometimes her being able to express it that kind of subsides then that she can do that i wouldn't argue with any of that i would just give you a broader perspective mm -hmm. that we found really effective and that is Estrogen creates a different configuration in the brain and creates what we call diffuse awareness. And it's the opposite of focus. It means to pour in every direction. And it's what has moms be accused of having eyes in the back of their head. It's what has 
you enter a woman's space and know it's her space because her consciousness is filling that space. It's how women monitor the mental, physical, and emotional, and often even spiritual state of every critter in their space. It's what has us in our intuitions, our, <laughs> it's what has men, what does men love about working with women? A very different perspective because there's so many things that we're perceiving that are screened out by a committed state of mind. But the problem is there isn't screening out. I mean, we have to, to some degree. And so we're going to filter in the way that we listen, but compared to a man's state of mind, and they did a study where they gave a bunch of men a bunch of estrogen. And within three days, every man had committed the study because he felt crazy. The input was too great. Yeah. What his brain could take in was too great. So for women, that talking thing, there's two things about that talking thing. We're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by our day. We're overwhelmed by our mm. environment. We're overwhelmed by going out into the world. We're overwhelmed. And talking is like vomiting. Mm. It's like, it, it, we just call it, you know, honey, do you need to empty your basket? Mm. I'll hold the trash. And just, mm. she literally, most women come home to the people they love with zero space for the people they love. And without that space, we can't connect without connecting. We're not going to, we're not going to want to be intimate. We won't, we don't have any space in ourselves for intimacy until we get all that out. You know, what's interesting. And I recently said to my girl, I don't understand what you're saying, but I love listening to you. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah, she loved that. But it's like, and, and it didn't feel like a burden, but it's like, yeah, nice. Like it, it's okay yeah. to play this role. Yeah. Well, if a woman's talking about what she's passionate about, men can listen for hours and you'll be energized by it. If she's complaining, which men define as a problem you won't let him solve, then it's torture, mm -hmm. right? If she's whining, that's even worse. Like, ew, you're so much more powerful than this. Quit and a nagging, nagging, you. like that is so annoying, nagging. A nagging... <laughs> we do an exercise on nagging in our partnership yeah. work. Yeah, nagging, just if you go like this on your hand. You're tapping, you mean? Yes, you tapping? Yeah, no. just tap your hand. Keep, yeah. the same, yeah. keep the same amount of pressure, right? After a while, your hand will feel irritated. Yeah. yeah. And then it'll go numb. Yeah. That's nagging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nagging has people go numb. And so you... And it was like, why am I even talking? Well, you should stop talking because you've made me numb. You, you keep saying the same thing over and over again. You've never made it worthwhile for me to do what you say I should do that I'm wrong for not doing. And that's not going to get me to do it because I'm not a woman. But so there's just often, often that I see happening. Anything that's, I mean, that's my perspective. It's easy to talk about it, but a relationship is more complicated. Any small thing that irritates you in a relationship and you're not going to talk about it, it will keep on stacking and compounding and it will turn into a big thing and it, you will, it will come out the wrong way and you will vomit it out with that accumulated evidence against your partner, which I see oftentimes happening more with women than with men. Because when I say like, it's okay, 
And she sees that I'm annoyed, but it's okay. I put it at a place and it's okay. Like, okay, we talked about it. It's fine. I need a transition time. Then after an argument, I can still show some anger in my face, but it's like, okay, we discussed. It's fine. It's okay for me. But with some women, it's not resolved. It's like hidden in the closet and, and then comes out again. It's like, what? I thought we talked about this. And then it comes back. You recognize it? Wait or not? Well, when you say it's okay, we talked about it, and you still have that look on your face, we're afraid. Mm-hmm. Like, really, honestly, afraid. And until you don't have that look on your face, we're going to keep being afraid and we're going to try to. And for the most part, men and women won't speak up about what they really need, mm-hmm. which is to admit a weakness, like we talked about in the beginning, until they're so angry about not getting it that the anger is bigger than the fear of being rejected for having that need. And Mm -hmm. everybody does it. Men and women do it. Mm -hmm. We all wait until we explode. And the problem is that the, the emotion of that explosion actually causes resistance to giving you what you need. Mm -hmm. Where if we asked when we still could could ask instead of demand, would you be willing to do this for me? If we could do it much sooner, which is a victory of human spirit, that second nervous system, our results would be much better. But this goes back to what I was talking about earlier about clarity, that we, if we get clear about exactly what it is that matters the most to us before we ask for it, and we know we're clear because we can picture it or feel it or articulate it with in detail so we use our imagination to get clear and we use our imagination to test how clear we are if we do that before we ever open our mouth we'll be so much better off both men and women what do you think just spend the time getting clear instead of being upset about i'm not getting what i need well what is it you need I don't know how to say it. Well, then how are they going to know how to give it to you? Well, isn't this the <laughs> first thing that people... I don't fully agree with the statement that everything we want from somebody else, we can give to ourselves because we are social creatures. And I think some things we just get by being who, around who other people. That? Sometimes people said this, you would be completely okay with yourself and give all the needs to yourself, you know, and that's the best way then to get a partner. But I don't believe in that. I think some parts we just get in symbiosis with other people and, and with an intimate partner or with a child that shows us certain things in the corner we never never dare to look at. Do you want to know my approach to that? We have we have two courses. One's called Being Extraordinary as a Man and one is Being Extraordinary as a Woman. And in both, we go through a process for men and women to distinguish what are the qualities that are their highest values that they most are most committed to being reliably being that quality, no matter what the circumstances are. And then what puts that quality, it's always a spiritual quality, mm-hmm. qualities, what puts that in your body? Until you embody mm-hmm. that, you can't be that under stress. And the things that put it in your body, we, we call them your noble needs. And what we recommend is that people have a variety of ways of getting that quality into their body. Like say, for example, uh, peace or generosity or freedom, right? What has you feel that way? 
And oftentimes there are things we can give ourselves, like time in nature, that will put that in our bodies. But there are other things, I call them high octane. So often the most high octane tank fillers, right, that will literally fill us with the qualities you most want to be, the highest octane tank fillers come from interacting with other people in a specific way. The nectar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like 10 minutes of getting to giggle with your best friend you couldn't fulfill that in a half a day of something you could do for yourself. Well, this just blows my mind that some people are like, I want this partner. And then they have no description or attributes or values or things that would be compatible with them. And then the second question also like, what kind of partner would I need to be to keep half attract this partner in my life? Most people don't ask that question. You're smiling. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's what i spend most of my time on these days and it's also what esther perel sometimes talks about we we expect from our partner now what we used to expect from an entire village there's so much pressure on relationships right now and especially it seems i don't know you can dispute from women because about 80 percent of divorces are instigated by women and oftentimes it's not that they're not happy but they're not happy enough so i'm wondering what's going on there Oh, boy, you just want to talk about the small things then, right, Philippe? <laughs> yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, gosh. I call commitment calculus. And it's the first thing women want to talk to me about is commitment. But I have to teach them what a number is first. And then how do you add and subtract and multiply? Because they, women think that if they're attractive enough, men I want to, will commit to them. But they don't know that for most men, there are 12, at least 12 things that make a woman the right person to commit to. Mm. And a man needs not only the right person to commit to, but the right time for him to commit, which has everything to do with where he is in his life. And men take commitment very seriously, which is why you're called commitment phobes. Mm-hmm. Women are actually mostly non-committal, and which is why we divorce so easily because we weren't committed in the first place. And we're like we're like a jockey on the back of a racehorse that picks out the prettiest racehorse that everybody thinks is the most amazing, and then if another horse is passing by in the race, we jump on that back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's instinct. It's instinct that has us do that. Pure survival. Well, it's also a taboo, is- taboo, by the way. We can talk about a biological mechanism that's called hypergamy and that women often date someone who they look up to or at least is at the same level. Doesn't mean it has to be money, but it's often, this is again a polarized thing to say, but often women want, some, women want someone to look up to more the status symbol in terms of what they do and women more in terms of like how they look, how attractive, how radiant, how open they are. Because honestly, I mean, this is my rant. I don't give a crap about what a woman does in her career. I'm happy that she does it. I'm happy she's alive. She can do her passion, change life. I care about femininity, her elegance, her radiance, her grace, her openness, her receptivity with her job, her career, what she does, she can do, but that doesn't impress me at all. A woman also doesn't have to be hard to get. I like her and that's it, but I don't have to, look up to what she achieved in terms of doing. 
And maybe that's also something typical masculine and feminine that men don't have value by themselves. They create value. And women also just by the fact they can bear children, they have inherent value. So in my experience, men want to have as a as a partner the strongest, most competent partner that they can attract and keep. If they think they can't attract her, then they won't even try. If they think they can't keep her, then they won't even try. They're going to find the strongest, most capable partner that they can attract and keep. And her being radiant, radiance is the beauty every woman can have. And it comes from our connection to the eternal. And it literally gives life. It recharges your battery. And that's what you're looking for from a woman is to be recharged, is a place, a place that's safe to be yourself, that you don't have to do battle. You can come home from the battle and be nurtured and loved and fulfilled and excited and inspired to go out and do battle some more. And so everything you said, I wouldn't argue with a bit. And it is definitely a different set of instincts. And largely human beings pretend they don't have any instincts and that they're making free choices all day long Mm -hmm. when they're mostly compelled by instinct all day long. And, And I mean, so much of my work is just awareness. Until we're aware that we're compelled by instinct, we have no choice. We're just gonna keep acting out something that's millennia is old and doesn't make anybody happy. And yes, women want to be happy and they think somebody else can make them happier and they have no clue what it takes to be happy. I mean, it starts with getting a good night's sleep. Yeah, this is maybe the last <laughs> thing that I want to end with the podcast uh, with. What are some misconceptions people have nowadays, men and women about the relationships or certain mindsets that are like toxic to approach a relationship? and polarity in the relationship with? You said something elegantly, and I'll let people see if they can go back and find it. But so much people want to find a relationship and then have it support them in doing what they really wanted. And, and instinctually, they conceal their deal breakers because, and they present deal breakers, otherwise known as ultimatums, They present ultimatums when the other person's the most likely to submit, Mm -hmm. the most likely to cave, which is why it really pisses us off. And if we actually are going to have fulfilling relationships, we need to fly the flag of our deal breakers from the very beginning. And we need to mean it. We need to actually back them up. We need to, this is one of the biggest ways men and women betray themselves is we know we need that and yet we're attracted to somebody and we think maybe we'll be able to get them to give it to us instead of start out with, hey, are you someone who would give this? (laughs) Well, fatal attraction, sometimes it's called that you're attracted to things which bring you back to your childhood and other things that got you attention from your parents. That's not necessarily only positive things. Maybe it's certain negative patterns, but it's that familiarity, that fatal attraction that brings us back to stuff from the past. This is why love at first sight or these 
have emotional feelings. Sometimes that's the feeling that are wired in childhood and they're always not necessarily good. I know Ayana Malach Pine sometimes talks about the head, the heart, and the soul. And it sometimes can conflict about, oh, my head, that's the perfect friend rationally. That's the heart in terms of feelings. Then, you know, the balls or what's that's like sexually, but those three are not always on the same line, you know. They're not. They're all responding to different things. Yeah, I think I could talk with you for hours and, you know, you, you, you tell me when you don't have time anymore, but do you want to add something? Because I want to respect your time, of course. Yeah, I need to go. And, you know, the answer to the biggest complex is about four days long. And, and obviously, I think there's a huge difference between men and women. That's why I have an understanding women course and an understanding men course. And I compare and contrast all the time. And more and more, we have to pay attention to who is someone being now, because otherwise we interact with each other, would have worked a moment ago or yesterday, and then we're all discombobulated and out of sync and taking it personally and upset, and, and it all goes to hell in a handbasket. So... Yes, I'm sure we could talk for days, and I'm glad that you exist, Philippe, and thank you for what you're doing out there in the world. Keep going. If people want to check um, out more about what you do, check your courses, your programs, your books, where can they find out more or follow you? They can go to alisonarmstrong.com is where you'll find all of the work that I've done in the last 10 years, basically, is all at alisonarmstrong.com. The stuff pre-2020-12 is on Audible. All the new stuff is at alisonarmstrong.com. And to end with, uh, what is the biggest thing that helped you to be more of a radiant queen from all the experience that you have from starting around this topic more than 30 years ago? Oh my gosh. Well, my favorite for the last year is looking at what costs me respect, admiration, and affinity for myself. And, and cutting it out, like any behavior that has me lose respect for myself, cutting it out. And things that have me have more admiration or like myself more, doing more of it purposely, consciously, and expanding the space that I have to experience love. And it's actually caused me to, I don't want to say demand because it's taken the wrong way, but to really stand for what's admirable and amazing about my boyfriend. And he keeps stepping into himself and getting more and more magnificent, which I knew was always there. Like he's cutting out the things that cause cost him admiration for himself. And it is so <laughs> well, I love that elegant etiquette and I love the fact that you're turning damsels in distress into radiant queens and frogs into princes into strong kin- kings. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh, all the best with your future work. Support you so much in everything that you're doing, Allison. Thank you, Philippe. You take care. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact.
Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.